Bitcoin and Co. The podcast about crypto economy and the future of money. Hosted by author and speaker Anita Posch. Hello and welcome to this episode of my Bitcoin and Co. podcast. I'm glad that you're listening and if you like my show, then please support it. I'm an independent creator of educational content like this podcast and therefore sponsorships and your support are very important for me. What you can do is you can share the show on social media, tip me in Bitcoin or become a patron. With as little as $5 per month, you'll get early access to new episodes and a big thank you. Go to patreon.com forward slash Anita Posh. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash A-N-I-T-A-P-O-S-C-H. Thank you. And now let's start with this episode. I'm very delighted and honored to be able to present this talk today. It's a conversation I had with Andreas M. Antonopoulos. Andreas is a best-selling author, speaker, educator, and one of the world's foremost Bitcoin and open blockchain experts. Since 2012, he's commenting, educating, and advising people, businesses, and governments about Bitcoin and open blockchains. He is known for delivering electric talks that combine economics, psychology, technology, game theory with current events, personal anecdotes and historical facts. Andreas has been interviewed on the BBC, Bloomberg Business, CNN, The Economist, Forbes and now I'm lucky that he's my guest on the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. As you will see, Andreas M. Antonopoulos is one of the rare Bitcoin and open blockchain experts who approaches the subject from an educational, political, cultural and human perspective, not only discussing the technology in investment terms. In the next 30 minutes, we discuss Bitcoin in the context of human rights, blockchain projects and their impact on society and the economy, how a multi-currency world could look like, what his first purchase with Bitcoin was, which books he recommends and, being self-employed since young age, he shares his views and learnings about being an entrepreneur. Hello Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos, thank you very much for taking your time to have a chat with me and the listeners of the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. It's a great honor and a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, thank you so much, Anita. It's so fun to be on the show. In your Twitter bio, you describe yourself with the words Bitcoin, open blockchains, security, entrepreneur, coder, atheist, pacifist and pilot. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I can relate to that very much. Only I wouldn't say that I'm a coder and I'm definitely not a pilot. And you are also an outspoken advocate for human rights for gender equality and a supporter of LGTBE rights. And I just... Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. And I just wanted to thank you for that in the beginning because I think it's so important to have strong people and voices that empower others, uh, especially in the very male-dominated crypto industry. Oh, thank you. And uh, thanks for that, yeah. And um, that brings us right to the topic of our talk, which is Bitcoin and the blockchain technology. 
When I think about uh, things like privacy issues and the right to have some sort of anonymity online and in our private lives, uh, could, uh, could we say that Bitcoin and blockchains some sort of could be an empowering uh, layer or basis for human rights? Um, if we get it right, yes. If we uh, develop it correctly, yes. I think if Bitcoin and open blockchains remain uh, open and decentralized, and if we strengthen the privacy guarantees, because they're not so strong in Bitcoin uh, at the moment, but I think they're getting stronger, um, then yes, the, the ability to make payments uh, without surveillance in an unfettered way um, across borders, internationally, without interference, I think is, is massively important for self-determination uh, and free expression. Uh, you know, in, in the end, money is one of the ways in which we express our political opinions. We fund the causes we care about. We associate with others in clubs and things like that. And if you have complete surveillance of money, as is the case with credit cards and banking institutions today... Uh, then that kind of makes a mockery of the principles of self-determination and freedom of expression that our governments uh, claim to espouse. I read in an interview you did in Austria uh, in the last weeks um, that you were talking about the dangers of fascism that we see again, uh, sadly, worldwide. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I also think that's really a, a problem here, especially with our history here in Austria and in Germany. What do you think? Um, I mean, Bitcoin is pseudonymous. Pseudonymous. pseudonymous yeah. yeah. So uh, meaning that um, it's not uh, you can follow all transactions, but you do not know who's behind the transaction. Uh, mm -hmm. When in when do you think that uh, new developments in Bitcoin will uh, arise that uh, uh, will bring uh, real anonymity? I think in the next couple of years years, we're going to be seeing um, strong anonymity protections and strong privacy protections using a combination of advanced technologies that are being developed today, uh, which include things like Schnorr signatures, uh, MAST, uh, graft roots and tap roots, uh, confidential transactions, and various forms of coin join technology. All of these are mechanisms for um, uh, hiding the, um, the source and destination address or making that private, uh, making the value of the transaction private um, and uh, disassociating or making it difficult to associate transactions to specific individuals or specific wallets or to track them in clusters and do statistical analysis. Um, and they provide quite strong uh, guarantees. But at the same time, all of these technologies you can still independently and authoritatively verify the blockchain's validity. Even though you don't know the amounts, the senders, or the destination, you can calculate that all of the numbers add up without knowing what the numbers are. It's a, one of these crazy little tricks in cryptography. Uh, and that gives you something that is both anonymous, but also um, very decentralized uh, and peer-to-peer. -peer. So I, I think that's, uh, that's likely to happen in the next uh, two to three years. And uh, don't you think that governments will then try to regulate it more or say it's illegal because it's anonymized? Oh, they may try. Um, they may try to regulate. They may try to make it uh, illegal. They may try. They may try many things. Uh, but, mm. you know, at the same time, 
keep in mind that um, we're, we're talking about a system that already has sufficient liquidity to be to continue to operate. And um, the Bitcoin isn't the only one. There are now uh, thousands of cryptocurrencies, and many of them have the strong anonymity protections already in them. Uh, so there are a number of other cryptocurrencies where the primary emphasis has been on privacy. They're not as liquid, they're not as widespread, they're not as easy to use, but um, they are much stronger in terms of uh, privacy. The bottom line is this, um, private money uh, has arrived and governments can pretend it hasn't. So they can pretend they want to stop it. They can uh, pretend they want to go back to this dream they uh, created in the 1970s of turning the money system into an extension of law enforcement and creating a totalitarian surveillance system of money, uh, which started with the Bank Secrecy Act and various other regulations and continued through to the legacy of the NSA and the various other intelligence agencies using money as a mechanism for surveillance. But um, we had private money for thousands of years, private peer-to-peer, non-traceable money uh, in the form of cash. And society didn't fall apart. Uh, mm. Horrible things didn't happen because of cash. They happened for other reasons, because human nature has uh, problems. But, but it wasn't that. So um, we can go back uh, to a time where we have private money again, and the world won't fall apart. In fact, many parts of the world will be more free as a result of that. Um, can you maybe just explain in some sentences... Uh, what Bitcoin is, in a way that my grandparents, for instance, uh, would uh, understand? Uh, so Bitcoin is uh, money on the internet, and it is a purely digital form of money that does not have any physical equivalent. But the important thing about Bitcoin is not that it's digital money, because the euro is also mostly digital money. Um, it's stored on computers. It's not the the... Uh, paper and coins that you hold in your hand, that's only two, uh, that's only 8% approximately of the money in mm -hmm. circulation. The rest of it is all digital. Um, what's special about Bitcoin is that it is money that is transacted directly between individuals entirely like cash and is not held by someone else, uh, such as a bank, payment provider, PayPal, etc. cetera. Uh, instead, uh, you hold it, you transmit it uh, directly to the person you want to pay, Uh, no one can interfere with that transaction. Uh, no one can take away, seize, freeze, or charge you for holding your own money. And so it's a form of money where it's as simple as sending an email um, or accessing a website on the internet, uh, and you have exactly the same freedoms. You know, when you access a website somewhere on the internet, um, your computer connects directly to that website, and you can access any website you want, uh, at least in free countries, uh, and even in non-free countries with the right tools you can. And so Bitcoin is that for money. Mm -hmm. uh, when, I, when I tell people about uh, the blocks in the blockchain and how they get to be connected together, and there's this 10-minute time span between each block is added to the chain, I most always get the question, what happens in between? How secure is a transaction that I do now and it's maybe in 10 or 20 minutes in the next block? What is in the meantime? Uh, in the meantime, uh, it's, not, it's not so secure um, unless you use some additional technology to make it secure, such as a multi-signature technology, some form of escrow or second layer like Lightning Network. But in the meantime, you know, with with uh, Bitcoin and other similar blockchains, you have to wait for sufficient time to pass 
for the entire worldwide network to agree and for your transaction effectively to be settled. Now, what most people don't realize is that in the banking system, that takes three to five days. With credit cards, it can take up to 30 days. So when you pay a merchant with a credit card, they don't have that money. Uh, they won't actually get it cleared and settled into the account and be able to spend it for up to 30 days after you make that transaction. And in the meantime, the bank can take it back at any time. And so, um, you know, settlement in three to five days or 20 days or 30 days uh, versus settlement in 30 minutes is really what we're comparing. Yeah, which is also a, a very good point for businesses no? who, who are working in logistics or something like that. Yes. And, uh, you know, you take the appropriate risk for a uh, five euro cup of coffee uh, transaction. If it's not settled and there's a possibility of a chargeback, that's okay. Uh, merchants already take that risk. That's why you don't have to sign or uh, sometimes even enter a pin for a transaction below 20 euros or 25 euros. And um, the merchant takes the risk that if you were to challenge that transaction, charge it back or reverse it, they just take the loss because very few people are going to do that. And speeding up the line in the store uh, pay more than pays for that small incidence of fraud. The same thing applies to any other transaction. So if you're going to send, you know, thousands and thousands of euros in order to buy a car or buy a house or something like that, sure, you'll wait. Uh, a day or you'll wait an hour or two before you hand the other person the keys to the car. Um, but, you know, at the same time, um, just to give you an example, I sold my car uh, at 10 p.m. on a Saturday um, to someone who paid me from another state um, and the banks were closed. And after three confirmations, I gave them the keys to the car uh, because I was confident at that point after 30 minutes that the Bitcoin had settled uh, enough for me to hand over the keys and complete a transaction that was worth 10, more than 10,000 euros. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I couldn't do that transaction. Uh, with cash, it would be very risky for me to get robbed or um, given forged cash. Um, with, with, and with a bank, um, I couldn't do it at that time of the day and it would still be a very complicated uh, issue. Uh, so I was able to do that with with Bitcoin very easily and efficiently. So you wait the time you think uh, in order to um, reduce the risk of that specific transaction, depending on how big the transaction is. Mm -hmm. And and the good thing about it is also that uh, the transaction costs uh, do not relate to the uh, amount, but to the data that is sent. True. Yes, uh, true. In fact, uh, just uh, two days ago, uh, we saw the uh, new record being broken. A transaction of 255 million euros was sent. And the transaction fee for that was 20 cents. Wow. <laughs> um, that is simply impossible to do with the traditional banking system. Recently, I was paid for a conference and PayPal charged me $75 mm -hmm. uh, to, re to receive uh, $2,000. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's... Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no comparison. Mm -hmm. I think that's also the great thing about it because uh, using it then for the work of artists and uh, creative people or journalists like um, those projects like uh, Ucho Music, for instance, or the Brave yes. Browser, I think these are great things. And um, would you also say that these are blockchain projects that really make sense because they are open and they empower the, the single creator um, 
I yeah. absolutely agree. I, I think we're not quite there yet mm. because my, micro payments are not possible with blockchains today or they're difficult to do and the fees can be uh, if you uh-huh. if you pay for the amount of data you send and it's 20 cents, um, the problem of that is, of course, it's fine if you're just sending 255 million euros. But if mm. you wanted to send 10 euro cents, you'd still pay 20 cents That's true, for right? that. Mm. So so then it would it would seem very expensive for that. We have second layer technologies like Lightning Network, uh, Raiden, various other technologies that are being developed. Uh, to facilitate micro payments, very, very fast, very, very small payments. Now that can really revolutionize content and really help independent creators not have to use an intermediary. The truth is that today, a lot of the reason we use intermediaries is because we need, uh, we need to aggregate payments or aggregate mm-hmm. advertising so we can pay for the distribution of the data. And so you're either paying with uh, micro violations of your privacy uh, with uh, targeted mm-hmm. advertising and, and your personal data being recorded. Um, or um, you pay a subscription and it has to be aggregated on a massive scale to make sense, like Spotify or uh, Amazon or, you know, all of those various uh, services. So the ability to take that, break that down and be able to make a direct micro payment of a few pennies a few cents to an individual content creator and let them aggregate all of those at very low cost that frees up artists from the intermediary. And I think that's uh, of course, one of the great advantages of this technology is that it removes intermediaries. But uh, this would work at the moment just with uh, Ethereum. Do you know anything about rootstock? I heard that it will be also a layer on which uh, the smart contracts um, can be rooted or, or programmed um what, yes uh, yeah. both both ethereum and both ethereum and rootstock use a virtual machine to provide smart contracts so essentially a programmable blockchain where you can write little programs that operate on the blockchain these platforms uh, are great for programmable blockchains but they don't scale as efficiently so they scale less than bitcoin even mm-hmm. um so doing micro payments with those uh you'd have to consider doing that on a different layer because at times they can get very, very congested and the fees can get very high in those platforms too. Okay. So uh, we were talking, uh, you were talking about your car uh, selling with Bitcoin. Uh, when did mm-hmm. you use Bitcoin for a transaction the first time? Can you remember that? Um, yes. The first time I used uh, Bitcoin for a transaction was uh, probably in uh, very late 2012, maybe. Um, Bitcoin was under $30 at the time. Its value was less than $30. And I bought a bag of coffee beans uh, from a seller in Arizona. And I believe I paid 1.5 Bitcoin. So in today's prices, (laughs) well over over 5,000 euros uh, for a bag of coffee. Uh, But, you know, that's how you make the the commercial system work is by making these trades, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I also got paid for my services, what would now be ridiculous amounts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So back in those days, if we can say so, like in 2012, how hard was it to use Bitcoin? I mean, now we have apps like Copay, Samurai Wallet, etc. Oh, it was it was it was very hard. Um, there were no mobile wallets at the time, or maybe the first one had just come out for Android, which was the Bitcoin wallet by Andrea Schilbach, mm-hmm. uh, who I believe is, is uh, Austrian. No, isn't he? Um, ah, 
He's I don't German. Know. Okay, I don't know or Austrian perhaps. or German. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> um, and um, so Andreas had written the first Bitcoin wallet at the time. Um, but other than that, there were no exchanges, or there was one exchange really, which was MT Gox, and the only way you could uh, send money <laughs> to that was through a complicated series of wire transfers with intermediaries. Or uh, various, there, there were no really easy to use exchanges. There were no easy to use ATMs. There were uh, very few merchants who accepted it, um, and it was a very complicated process. So uh, yeah, but you know that's that's how technology goes. It starts very difficult, and only the absolutely committed early adopters, mostly geeks, are willing to try it, and then uh, it becomes easier and easier for everybody else. Before we continue our show, a short message from our sponsors. Thanks for listening and we will be back soon. You're looking for a solution to store Bitcoin the safe and easy way? The Card Wallet is a high secure way to storing Bitcoin offline, developed by Confinity and the Austrian State Printing House. The Card Wallet is a professional cold storage solution made with high-quality security materials and tamper-proof features that prevent the manipulation of the card. If you want to know more or buy the Card Wallet, go to www.cardwallet.com. I also heard you say that you believe in a multi-currency world, uh, that there might be hundreds or thousands of different currencies existing worldwide. I'm, uh, I'm in favor of regional currencies. I mean, I think they can support local communities. How do you think uh, will or can those be connected to Bitcoin? And how can a system like that work? Well, I think we're gradually moving into an environment where uh, we will have uh, tools, uh, maybe second layer tools that allow us to um, transfer or exchange any currency, any one of these cryptocurrencies into any one, uh, into any of the other cryptocurrencies in a few seconds um, for almost no fee at all and with no intermediaries, directly peer-to-peer. What that means then is that that becomes a programmable function of your wallet, which means that your wallet chooses which currency to use uh, every second. Uh, it can choose um, to, as you walk up to a merchant, Uh, it can use uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, NFC, or something else to communicate with their point of sale and ask them, which currencies do you support? Uh, get a list of 1,500 currencies, see uh, if it has any of those, or um, if it prefers one at this moment in time based on current pricing. Exchange something into that currency, pay, pay the merchant, uh, and continue. And so that could be a, an automatic negotiation, just like um, your phone decides which Wi-Fi to connect to, Or when you make a telephone call, um, uh, how to route that telephone call across multiple international carriers based on the best price available for international calls or, or how uh, Internet packets are routed. So money becomes fully routable. And then which currency you hold doesn't really make any sense. Um, it doesn't mean anything any more than which ISP you have. Uh, we didn't have to discuss which ISP we we're going to use to have this uh, conversation. And uh, you shouldn't need to discuss which kind of money you have in order to do a transaction. It will just be exchanged automatically uh, by your device. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had to uh, say, is it Skype or Google Hangouts? <laughs> yeah, those protocols are still not open. Uh, there was a time when video ah. conferencing protocols were much, much more open and you didn't need to do that. But unfortunately, they've regressed. 
Oh, okay, yeah. Now that's also the hope for open blockchains, that they open up these uh, centralized institutions again and give us the, the right to decide uh, what we are want, wanting to do with our data by ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's the, the one of the the powerful uh, facts and and things uh, with Bitcoin and blockchains. For sure. Yeah, I know you read a lot. Um, can you maybe recommend uh, one or two books for people who are interested in Bitcoin and or maybe in something more common like how our lives will be changed by digital technologies in the future or something like that. <laughs> Um, oh, I, I, so many books, I can't even uh, mm. consider which one to recommend right now. I recently read The Truth Machine um, by um, Michael and, Casey and Paul Vigna. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, there's a couple of other interesting books that have come out. Um, I think the other one that was very interesting is Debt, uh, 500-Year History. <laughs> Paul, Paul Graeber? Or five, fourth, five thousand here history. Five thousand, yeah. David. I have it on my desk at the moment. Yeah, five okay. thousand yeah, here history. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's definitely a very interesting book to understand, kind of modern economics, um, but but also traditional economics. Uh, there, you know, um, I, I I'm not sure I can recommend any other mm. books. Mm. I mean, I, I recommend to all of the listeners your books, of course, like The Internet of Money or Mastering Bitcoin for the more technical interested people. Uh, they are a great um, starting point, I think. And also, oh, thank you. And also all of your videos. I mean, they are simply great. And also the, the Q&As you do um, are very help helpful. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Now we're coming to an end. Um, You're also a successful entrepreneur. You started as a solo entrepreneur, I think. What was your most important learning in your journey as an entrepreneur from like 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I don't know when you started as a businessman, but is there anything um, you can give an advice to, to people who want to start a business? Yeah, I, I started when I was 15 years old. So that's uh, 30 years of uh, working for myself. Um, in that time, I've only worked for somebody else for about a year and a half, uh, two different bosses. I didn't like it. Uh, I like to control <laughs> control my own destiny with all of the risk that that, that has. Uh, and I started a number of businesses. Um, you know, uh, uh, some of them were somewhat successful. Um, many of them failed uh, for various reasons. And with every failure, I learned some new lessons, right? So being an entrepreneur isn't about succeeding. It's about uh, continuing to try Uh, through through successive failures, and if you have a failure, uh, minimizing the impact, uh, figuring it out quickly enough to move on to the next thing, um, and continuing to try, and eventually you have some successes, and in the meantime, you have a lot of freedom with your choices. I, I've learned a lot of lessons from each one of the failures. Um, you know, problems with trusting partners who could not be trusted, who stole from me, or... Mm. Um, Uh, building relationships, making decisions, uh, managing my time, uh, uh, working with other people, having employees, managing other people, um, helping people advance in their own interests and careers so that they can be very productive uh, when they work uh, with me. Um, you know, um, 
being careful about how and when to make decisions, saying no a lot more often than saying yes. Mm. Uh, you know, <laughs> all of these things are, are things you learn gradually by making mistakes. Um, and each mistake builds upon the previous so you can learn and not, hopefully not make the same mistake at least more than twice, uh, if possible. Um, but I've enjoyed it because it gives me the, the freedom to uh, work from wherever I want to to make my work uh, valuable and 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 uh, rewarding for me psychologically and emotionally, um, no matter where I am. And even if it's not very profitable, it's always fun to do, uh, and I make sure of that. And so, in the end, it's given me lifestyle. It doesn't necessarily. It's not about. Um, I mean, some people want to be rich. Um, but, uh, I, I've found it more valuable in my life to have, uh, freedom and the ability to travel and experience the world and, uh, have flexibility in my, in my time and my schedule. And you can only do that if you work for yourself. Thank you. That was a very, very great, um, finish now or final, uh, statement. I think uh, being an entrepreneur is a real adventure in life and it uh, mm -hmm. it also keeps me going, you know. It's just the thing, I want to do this, I want my freedom, I want to be independent and uh, it's a real uh, up and down. Yeah? You're like a, uh, like a mentor maybe or something, you know. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And um, my last question is, how can my listeners follow you and support your work? Um, so you can find all of my work. First of all, uh, my books uh, and my videos are all available under open licenses, mostly Creative Commons licenses, which means that you can share them, read them, uh, copy them and modify them um, for your own purposes uh, for free. Um, I very much believe in an open culture where we all collaborate to produce uh, great, uh, great works for everybody. Um, and in making information free. Um, you can also, of course, buy my books uh, if you so choose, especially if you like paper or the convenience of uh, a Kindle reader or some other ebook reader. Um, my work is mostly supported nowadays through Patreon, which is a platform for creators where people can contribute, you know, $5 a month or um, three euros a month or whatever. Um, and give me the freedom to continue to pursue my work and then enjoy it uh, with everybody else available for free. Uh, my patrons also get uh, access to some special goodies behind the scenes, uh, early access to videos, as well as the ability to participate in live uh, mm -hmm. Q&A sessions and ask uh, questions. But regardless, um, all, of the, all of the information that I produce, all my videos, all my books, all my work, Uh, becomes available to the public for free uh, within a few weeks of it uh, being available to my patrons. Great. And I can confirm the thing with the patrons. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you for your support. <laughs> no, no, no worries, of course, sure. Um, so, yes, thanks a lot for your time, um, for this great talk. It was a lot of fun. And um, I wish you all the best for the coming months and years. And, um, yes, Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anita. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and family on Twitter or Facebook and leave a review on iTunes or YouTube. And please consider to support the show. 
you can do several things. You can become a patron on patreon.com forward slash Anita Posh. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash A-N-I-T-A-P-O-S-C-H. For an amount of $5 per month, you'll get early access to new episodes and a big thank you. If you prefer to tip me in Bitcoin, you can find my address on the website. If you want to advertise your product or company, please send an email to hello at bitcoincopodcast.com. That's hello at bitcoincopodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Audio editing and signation spoken by Katrin Eidenhammer. ID and production by Anita Posch. 